0: Other extremely confident communities that I see today would be Silicon Valley, certainly the the big tech world. Wall Street is another community today that is feeling very, very jubilant.
1: Welcome to Elevate, a podcast about achievement, personal growth, and pushing limits in leadership and life. I'm Robert Glazer, and I chat with world-class performers who have committed to elevating their own life pushing the limits of their capacity, and helping others to do the same.
2: This episode was previously recorded and published on the Outperform podcast.
1: I'm Bob Glazer, AP's founder and managing director, and today's quote is from the wisdom of Mark Twain, and that is, history does not repeat itself, but it often rhymes. Our guest today is Peter Atwater, Peter's are renowned for his ability to look at confidence and how it impacts decision-making throughout history, and we'll be sure to include his full bio in our show notes, uh, but here are some highlights about Peter and uh, his accomplishments. So Peter's the president of Financial Insights, a recognized thought leader in confidence-driven decision-making. He's the author of the book, Moods and Markets, which details how investors can improve returns by using non-market indicators of confidence, and he's an adjunct professor at the University of Delaware. Additionally, his research on confidence has been mentioned in the Financial Times, Reuters, Barron's, and Time Magazine, among other places. So very excited to have you, Peter. Welcome. And uh, it's an honor to have you on Upperform.
0: Thanks very much, Bob.
1: So why don't we start off having everyone tell a little bit about what it is you do, since that, I, I think you're a specialist in a field that a lot of people aren't aware about. So why don't why don't we start there? And that should set, the I think, the base for everyone.
0: So I'm fascinated in why people do what they do. And, you know, through a iterative process came to really focus on the role of confidence in the choices that we make. And from that, trying to understand what it is about confidence that is the real driver behind the things that we do. And even more the parallels that you see behaviorally across politics, social action, the markets, and not just today, but from a historical perspective as well. Because as you indicated at the beginning from Twain, history does rhyme. And uh, we're in a very interesting time with that regard.
1: Absolutely. So we first met about three years ago, And uh, I saw you speak at an EO Boston event, and I remember your speech very clearly because Eric Cantor had just lost his primary race in the election, and you were talking about how companies and politicians that were focused on global and not local in their backyard were going to be in trouble as people were more concerned about things that were going on locally. Basically, you essentially predicted a lot of what's playing out in the market today and society, including, I think, some of the xenophobia and and even some of the outright racism that we've seen. What was it that you saw at that time? And can you take us through kind of what has materialized and maybe what has changed since then that would lead you to tell us what's going to come next?
0: So what I was observing was a real uh, dichotomy in the confidence level between Main Street and the global financial political elite. Uh, It was as if we were living in two different worlds at the same time. And from my research, I knew that when people don't have confidence, local matters a whole lot more than global. And uh, we can talk more about sort of why that's the case, But I was noticing that our preferences, whether it was in technology or in things like the silly K-cups that uh, folks use for their coffee every day, that Main Street voter preferences were all me here now. And that is the antithesis of what I was seeing among the political and financial elite. The global mindset is is much more of an us everywhere forever uh, sentiment. And so I was tracking what Main Street was doing and saying and could see that there was a real disconnect between the political establishment and what I started to see on the ground. And Eric Cantor was the first of now many major establishment politicians who's fallen victim to this much more hyper-localized mindset.
1: I remember you mentioned some books and movies. Can you help explain, like, what are some of the markers that you look at and you talk about in your analysis that portray the sediment?
0: So I look at, you know, books are a phenomenal indicator, particularly the books teenagers read teens are uncanny in their unconscious, both expressions and feelings of of mood. And, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is that you have this very dark sentiment, uh, particularly among the young teen audience. And, you know, whether that started with Harry Potter getting progressively darker, turning into the Twilight series and the Hunger Games, and now you have a lot of Suicide-related literature, which is extremely dark and dystopian, that is itself a, an indicator of mood more broadly. Although you know people don't tend to look at that as a marker, music does the same thing. You know, I always tell my investor friends, you know, you want to buy Adele and sell Pharrell. You know, dark music is something that we saw at market bottoms, and and light, happy bubblegum music is the things we see at the tops.
1: It's fascinating. So what is it about confidence that makes, and I'm trying to think around personal and then in the, in the business sense, is it that makes people just more, more narrow and more closed minded and they only trust things that they know and see? Is it? it, it I mean, I, obviously it affects risk taking, but can you walk through a little bit on how that would play out in sort of a personal setting and then how how that would play out for a business in terms of the types of things that its customers are doing differently?
0: Sure. So I think that the first thing folks should know is that confidence is cognitive. It is a cognitive state of being. It's almost as if our brain has hit that Staples easy button. Things in our minds when we are confident are very easy for us. And If you think about that, as confidence falls, our minds become much more stressed. And I'd like to think of it in terms of bandwidth. We only have so much bandwidth. And when confidence falls, the pipe gets clogged. We tend to overthink. Uh, Things become more challenging for us cognitively. And as a result, we only can put so much through the pipe. And that forces us to focus on things that are only in front of us immediately. So things that have a local, immediate, personal aspect to it take precedent over everything else. Yeah. So is that
1: more instant gratification over deferred gratification?
0: Absolutely. But, it, but it's not instant gratification sounds like it's a choice. This isn't a choice. This is a necessity. So when we're doing that, we have to sort of block out anything that's not in that immediate local horizon. And and horizon is the word that I use. And so we we need things, we crave things that are concrete.
1: That's interesting. You know, one of the things that dovetails is when you and I were actually connected a few months ago, it was because I had written one of my Friday Forwards about the time span of discretion that was shared uh, with you by a mutual friend that we have. Talked a little bit about how we each make decisions across different time spans differently. Like a CEO may think in years and a medical professional may have to think in minutes or hours and it starts to affect uh, how we think. And I know when you reached out, you mentioned the concept of time span has a big connection to confidence and that that relationship goes well beyond time. So I'd love to hear more about that relationship. You know, one of the things that, you know, we focus on is, on this podcast is how do you outperform? And then for a lot of business leaders, it's thinking about planning and strategy and and that's what they do, think about different timeframes. So I, it was a very interesting point. And I, I know we we chatted about a little bit by email, but I'd love to hear sort of you go into that a little more.
0: Sure. So I actually think it's easier for people to appreciate the time horizon if we actually start with a visual horizon to think about it in terms of geography and that you know we naturally as we look out into the distance things become blurrier it's more difficult to figure out what's out there you know i kind of know as i'm looking out into the horizon what might be there but you know the things that i can see vividly and you know in great detail are very close to me and that same phenomenon exists with respect to time. And that, that localized right in front of me is so much easier for me cognitively to understand. And that the further away I get in terms of time, the more I have to generalize and assume and extrapolate in order to have some sense as to what might be in the future. And that becomes very difficult for us when we're under stress, because again, we just don't have the abstract thinking that we need to be able to have some estimate of what might be ahead. Even more, things that are blurry to us when we don't have confidence we immediately associate with fear. So that rather than thinking about the future being an opportunity and being optimistic about what's ahead, which is what we naturally do when we have very high levels of confidence, we begin to view the future with uncertainty. We are unclear about it. And therefore, there must be risk in that that we haven't yet identified. That begins to have a very clear and deliberate impact on the choices that we make. Because if I'm running a business and I'm focused on that me here now, deeply concerned, just hyper vigilant mode, I am not going to invest in the future. I'm going to be very focused on what I have right now and preserving it. And so... From a confidence perspective, I will underinvest, underexpand when confidence is low. But alternatively, when my confidence is really high, I will take risk to expand and overinvest. That with hindsight proves to be as misguided as if I didn't do the right thing at the bottom, I again don't do the right thing at the top.
1: Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. It's advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash practical. That's LinkedIn.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You know, it just occurred to me as you talked through that because you talked earlier about the dichotomy in that this is very specific to different segments of the, the market or the population. I can think of right now, uh, some parts that are probably in the me here and now, and then some other parts like blockchain and Bitcoin and <laughs> other stuff yeah. that, that are in the wildly optimistic. So is it, is it sector dependent? Is it socioeconomically dependent? I'd love to hear which parts of markets or segments now are do you think are overly optimistic or overly cautious?
0: So I, I think of it as herd dependent. And what herd or herds you are part of? So today, if I'm thinking about the most confident, you mentioned the cryptocurrency herd, you know there was a level of euphoria a month ago that you know rivaled what we saw at the peak of Beetlemania or the peak of the, the tulip mania. So that is a, a herd that has just been extraordinarily, optimistic and and confident, and the extrapolations that you saw in terms of projections of price for cryptocurrencies were phenomenal. Other extremely confident communities that I see today would be Silicon Valley, uh, certainly the the big tech world. Uh, Wall Street is another community today that is feeling very, very jubilant. So folks that have been very close to finance and very close to technology and and my God, when they intersect, you have this combustion. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's it's just been a phenomenal environment.
1: And yeah, I mean, so basically they they can't see how anything could go wrong. That's the sort of no fear and that the future is better than the present.
0: That is absolutely right.
1: You mentioned something when I first heard you speak about books and buildings. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Sure. So architecture is another way that you see confidence manifest, and and I I think it's amusing and interesting uh, the coincidence we're talking today. Amazon is about to open its headquarters and I, and its new headquarters. And I encourage folks to go online and look at the the images of these these domes with lush greenery. Corporations, just like individuals, built castles at the top. We saw that in terms of residential construction during the peak of the housing market. And we're seeing that in in tech corporations today. And I think it's amusing and and relevant that Amazon and and now Apple are out there having municipalities around the country bidding to have that next multi-billion dollar corporate headquarters, so, architecture is one of the ways that we express our mood. And, you know, folks that travel to New York, you can see it in these very, very hyper tall, pencil thin uh, residential properties for, you know, multimillionaires, billionaires. In fact, it's called Billionaires Row, uh, 57th Street. You know, those are, those are expressions of extreme confidence.
1: What are some of the historical examples? I remember you went through a few, but where it really precipitated the end of an era.
0: So architecture, uh, certainly you saw that with corporations in in the mid 60s. If you walk along Avenue of the Americas, 6th Avenue in New York, you can see, you know, one corporate headquarters after another for, for companies that many of whom don't exist, Union Carbide being, you know, most notable among them. But you, you see lots of examples in architecture, uh, the late 1920s, again, in, in residential architecture, you know, fabulous homes built. You know, before that, you've got the Gilded Age, uh, Travel to Newport, Rhode Island, and you know, that is just a, a living museum of the abundance of opulence in terms of architecture, as is, as is a place like Versailles.
1: And how about the Roman Empire?
0: Uh, you know, same sort of thing. We build coliseums. Uh, I actually recently had a student do a, a research paper who who looked at sports stadiums and the construction of football, baseball, basketball stadiums is uh very clustered around peaks and continents. College buildings. I looked at my own alma mater and the clustering of of college campus buildings all coincide with major peaks and continents.
1: And what about books?
0: So book topics tend to be uh, similar in that regard. Uh, Business books are extremely popular at tops in markets. Uh, Jack Welch, his book uh, notable at the top in 2000. Andy Grove uh, wrote books. Uh, the head of Whole Foods, you know, wrote a book a couple of years ago that was you know months away from the peak in the price of Whole Foods. And you know, I, I've been watching with uh, particular interest in Ray Dalio's book called Principles. Uh, Dalio, for those who aren't familiar with him, is a, a major hedge fund billionaire. Uh, runs a firm called Bridgewater and. Uh, what's so interesting to me about that is that here you have this this individual who's an expert in investing, and his book topic is really sort of life principles. So he's he's definitely stretching his uh, his reputation.
1: It's an incredible book. I just finished it, and I don't think I've ever marked up a book as much as I have marked that. Are they the how I did it books? Is that sort of the the topic, or or they just feel?
0: good enough to write a book? So it's twofold. One is, it, it is definitely a how I did it. But put yourself in the shoes of a publisher. You know, a publisher, I don't know what they paid in terms of an advance to Mr. Dahlia, but I suspect it was a seven-figure kind of advance. Well, so
1: Whatever it was, he didn't really need it. But, it uh, was a rounding
0: yeah. <laughs> error for him. But that they wanted it suggests that there was an audience for what he had to say. And so you, you think about, you know, why would folks want to hear what he has to say? You know, you don't hear about folks who have failed constantly in life writing books. There's there's a sense of, so what did he do? And, and particularly in this one, what can I learn from that, that I can apply to my business, to my life? Because I believe unconsciously that if... I can apply those same skills, I will be successful in the future just like him. So we begin as a reader to extrapolate his success into our own because we read his book.
1: And I assume this follows with the books that follows themes, right? So which which themes, I, I know business, but are there other themes that seem to have overconfidence now? I mean, I know there's a lot of books on culture and feedback. And how do you even track how do you develop the theses and then start to track these patterns with something like books or literature
0: so I, I you know I go back a couple of years and think about the hillbilly elegy you know that is a book that tried to navigate the confidence divide between middle America and the political financial elite and I look at the New York Times bestseller list in terms of what books are selling? What is resonating with the audience? Um, I do the same thing with movies. You know, it's interesting to me if you think about the nominations this year, you know, you have in a movie like, like Dunkirk, you know, this is small individuals rescuing an army at its core level. So a local community coming together. And that's not sort of how we, you know, when you think about blockbuster movies, the, the theme of Dunkirk, the, the, you know, the darkest hour. This is an environment, and you certainly saw it at the, at the Golden Globes. Women. One of the things that I find as a researcher is that women, minorities, gays and lesbians, outsiders come to the fore when confidence mood collectively is low. So that the in crowd those who have been in control, those who have been powerful for a long period of time fall out of popularity and are replaced and confronted by groups that have been repressed and and underconfident. What's so interesting about today is that you can put in that crowd, you know, the middle American manufacturing class, as well as women, as well as gays and lesbians, as well as communities that we naturally associate, Um, you know, the African American, the the, the Hispanic community immigrants. So what is so interesting is that the in crowd here is a relatively small population. And now we're seeing tension among groups that view themselves to have been repressed, who are now trying to assert authority and on the one hand, you see that in a group of white supremacists. At the same time, you're seeing it among a group of, of women who have been you know, sexually abused. So it's a it's a very interesting 1960s-esque rhyme that we're experiencing uh, in real time today.
1: I have so many questions to follow up on that. Let me Let me start with one that goes back a little bit, and then I'll jump forward. So if you were an investor, would you be shorting overconfidence and going long on underconfidence, betting on sort of regression to the mean over time?
0: So I think we've reached an untenable point where the owners of capital have been so rewarded relative to the employees of capital. If I could choose a trade, I would be long workers and short owners
1: so is the successful and and i've seen a lot of these I'm, i'm always i'm careful of confirmation bias because i feel like this is a little bit of the crowd that i hang out with but they're seeing a lot more companies and leaders who are sharing equity being transparent having more of a collectively run company is that what you think will take to be successful as sort of the company of the future? People won't want to work hard for the the owners.
0: Yeah, I think that what we're seeing is a migration from owner control reward going solely to owners to much more of a mutual relationship. You know, if you if you think about it, a bit at extreme, you know, the opposite is is a communally owned entity where employees benefit as, as much as owners. I don't know that we'll get there, but I certainly think that the pendulum is going to move rapidly in that direction.
1: And when you consider all the open source communities, that is essentially that, right? The open source software, even a lot of the blockchain and the crypto where where you trust the community more than a, a centralized person, right?
0: Yeah. But I, I think we'll also see this more on a local basis, where you know communities come together to recognize that, you know, if you're going to turn around a, a city like Baltimore or an urban environment, or even parts of Appalachia and, and the Midwest, community leaders are going to have to come together and drive it from a grassroots perspective, and that that mindset of of local mutual rebuilding of of trust is going to be a theme that I think we see play out a great deal.
1: Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. shopify.com slash elevate. Harvard Business Review provides information, tools, and practical advice on leadership, management, and strategy through the hbr.org website, their print publication, and their podcasts. hbr.org is your go-to for leadership and business management articles. A recent favorite is stop eliminating perfectly good candidates by asking them the wrong questions. Then there are other world-famous case studies, which premium subscribers can access as well. HBR produces a number of leading podcasts from HBR on leadership to my favorite, the HBR IdeaCast podcast. A subscription to HBR also includes access to videos, The Big Idea, HBR Magazine, and a wide variety of newsletters. While much of the Harvard Business Review content is available for free after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at only $10 a month. Go to www.hbr.org subscriptions and enter promo code elevate right now to take advantage of this great offer. Again, go to www.hbr.org Slash subscriptions and enter promo code elevate to learn more about this great opportunity to help manage your career and business. All right, so I know I'm going to start asking the questions now that I know people have in their mind. So let's take this by segment because people are probably listening to this thing. This is fascinating. And all right, what do I need to look at? What is going to be a successful business? What is going to be a successful political strategy? What is going to be successful for me personally? let's start with politics. So we have a midterm election on the horizon. What are you predicting there based on what you're seeing?
0: So I think that the what is ahead for the midterm elections is the backlash to the 2016 presidential result. The seeds of it were sowed on the Washington Mall in the Women's March. And so... You know, I think Time Magazine's latest cover is an indicator of that, with with the numbers of of women candidates at you know all levels of political life, from mayors to you know senators. Uh, this is going to be a political environment where my enemy's enemy is my friend. So coalitions of groups that you wouldn't necessarily have put together, but I think that we're going to see. In the midterms, a real uh, rebuttal politically to what happened in 2016. Interestingly, it is going to challenge identities for a number of groups. So for example, in the conservative heartland, one of the questions that I think will be important to watch is do voters identify themselves as women, Christian, conservative first. And that sounds like an an odd sort of thing to focus on, but we are in many ways fragmenting in how we identify ourselves. And so one of the, the challenges for political candidates is trying to create an identity that, pulls people from one group to another by characteristics that are not necessarily been viewed as hyper important before and so I think you know this this issue whether it be by race gender sexual orientation uh, religion left or right trying to create clusters of, of identity is going to be a challenge for for folks who are running for office in the midterm.
1: But you're expecting probably to see a, a record number of, of female candidates.
0: I'm expecting to see a record number of female, people of color, gays and lesbians, you know, the, the LGBTQ community. This is going to be an environment where established incumbents are challenged by outsiders who coalesce in opposition.
1: And on the business side, so I'm a business leader sitting here listening to this. How should I think about? I think it's two things: my company and my culture in terms of what's going to be successful. And I know I've heard you talk about the types of products that will be successful based on on the environment because I think that's sort of twofold, right? So if I if I'm making bets right now, what would I not? What would be a bad bet and what would be a good bet as a business leader?
0: So I think for an American business leader. That the challenge will be in the world of export, that trying to be global in this environment is going to be extremely difficult. And it's going to be difficult in two fronts. One, sort of the political me here now importance of things that are made and sold in this country will supersede things that are made and sold to others somewhere else. And recognize that our own isolationism is going to create backlash in other countries towards our own products and services as well. In the same vein, I think importing is going to be equally challenging. And, and one of the things that I've been watching has been where we are becoming hypervigilant in terms of imports. So you saw with respect to Kaspersky. Russian antivirus computer software is now something that we are not comfortable importing. Um, You're seeing that transcend to Chinese cell phones. We're becoming xenophobic, not just in terms of people, but products, too. We're also becoming sensitive to capital, you know, where companies are sourcing funds is becoming subject to scrutiny as well. So if you're a startup company, getting money from Saudi Arabia or from China or Russia is now being viewed in a a negative way. So organizations that are trying to navigate at this border between domestic and international, I think are in, in a very challenging spot because the mounting xenophobia is going to make it hard to hard on, on global capital and labor as well as uh, product flows.
1: So you've not seen any reversal in the me here now trend that would lead you to believe it's going the other way?
0: No, it it, it is continuing to go the other way. In fact, you know, the, the fact that we're talking about building walls and are likely to have a bipartisan financial commitment to build a wall is just a, a clear indicator of that.
1: Does that even break down in terms of you think of the growth of farmers markets or I, you know, I'm, a, I'm an American buying produce and I'm more likely to buy grapes from Massachusetts than grapes from California?
0: I think that is definitely I think you're you, you saw its first stab in terms of big ag versus local ag. Food is a is a phenomenal space to watch because how and what we eat is one of the first indicators of of our mood. So for me, the craft brewing craze, um, you know, the farmers market movement, uh, all of the the locavore behavior was was a very clear early indicator of declines in confidence from a mood perspective. But the danger is that it does become even more localized than that. That you know we become a herd that identifies by by region, by state, by city, by neighborhood. Those progressions haven't happened, but if mood deteriorates further, you'll start to see open hostility between particular regions.
1: You know, so thinking about, you know, we're, we're a company that's expanding internationally, and I'm thinking about this in real time. So for companies that are across the U.S. or globally, it would seem to be that to do that successfully, because it's not like it won't work at all, they will have to be really invested and look like the communities in which they they operate, right? So maybe maybe the difference between five or six years ago, if you were going to open a office in Germany, you might have sent a, a bunch of people over to off, open it. You know, these days, if you need an office in Germany, you might want to hire some local Germans to. Start that out. Is it is it that sort of application and and thinking that business leaders need to think about?
0: Yes, and and in fact, you might even go so far as to make sure that it is a it's a joint venture or something that demonstrates local ownership. That it is structured more as a partnership than it is an outright expansion of an American company, because you do you. You will need to be able to be authentic in what you say and how you market yourself and position yourself in this environment. And I think folks should anticipate an intensifying level of scrutiny. Are you really what you're professing to be? And in an international environment, you're going to get caught it's going to be very hard to be both American and German, both American and Mexican, both trying to be two things at once. You know, you're going to have, it's, you know, chocolate or vanilla.
1: So you need to have your story straight.
0: Yeah, it, but but your story needs to be supported by easily communicated facts.
1: Right. And what about products? Because I know you went into that level. What are the product types of products that... Feed more towards. I know you mentioned K cups, but the the here now and and less about uh, about the future. Because if I think about something like global warming, it, where people are really starting to worry that we've got you know irreversible long term damage, and it, it seems like a massive commercial opportunity for people to jump into and in, in the not too distant future. However then there's what do i want to eat today and how easy can it be and i don't care what impact it has today so how how does someone think about along those lines on product you know the types of products that the market wants
0: so solving big problems you know that that moonshot kind of mindset is going to be the antithesis and is outside of the the global financial elite, you know, the SpaceX and Blue Origins of the world, the mindset is solve my problem that I have right now. And that problem is right here, right around me. And, you know, it's wonderful to hear all of your, your ideas about going to Mars and solving global climate change and and exploration and things that are of interest, but those are so abstract and so not on my radar screen that you know you're wasting your time in terms of of products.
1: That's why everyone goes to Twitter with their service complaints, because they need a instantaneous response.
0: Yeah now now the danger, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or Google is that, you know, the, the, the social media space in the last year, there's been a dramatic change in sentiment. We are increasingly suspicious of the power and control and the, the data privacy issues around, you know, the, the big data companies. And so I think for folks that are Trying to leverage social media, they need to be cognizant of the fact that you're going to see an acceleration of people signing off of those platforms because they are concerned about what do people know about me that I really don't want them to know.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I want to tell you, I'm still. I'm fat because I'm trying to think about how to apply this. So I want to. I want to come back to so it's really clear for people around the around the thinking, particularly on the problems that they're trying to solve as a last question. Let's come back to the global warming example. There, there are real consequences now <laughs> for people on some of the stuff that is going on related to, we'll like say, climate change and weather. And people, other people saying, look, we really need to do some stuff, fix some things in the long term to stop more of these short-term consequences. Can people make that connection? Because there is a, there is a now to it, but the solution isn't now. The solution is more complicated, and and I know there are a lot of business focuses on sustainability and that message. I, I'm curious how you you interpret that,
0: Bob. I take no comfort in in what I'm about to say, but from a business perspective, I think that the opportunity is in coping with the symptoms as opposed to trying to address the fundamental cause. So. If you think about the consequences of climate change, where are there going to be obvious business opportunities that come about because of that, and how do I take advantage of it? Because our willingness to invest strategically is declining by the day.
1: So it is better to be a a cleanup crew company than a dam building company. Exactly. Yeah. Sad, but true. <laughs> well, Peter, I, I feel like we could, we could go on uh, forever. Uh, your work is really impressive. And I just want to thank you for taking the time to share your insights related to confidence and how business can use indicators of confidence to outperform in their markets, which is what we're, we're always interested in. So to our listeners, we'll include a link to Peter's company, Financial Insights, as well as links to his Twitter and LinkedIn posts so you can keep up to date on his perspectives. And speaking of perspectives, we'd love yours. If you could enjoy this episode or outperform in general, we'd really love your feedback and please consider rating it on iTunes and or writing a review. So in the meantime, thanks for listening, keep outperforming and Peter, thanks so much for joining us today.
0: Thanks very much, Bob.